I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And now sports. Aaron Hogan. Rod Babers. The only local sports morning show in Central Texas. Austin's all sports leader, The Horn. Welcome back to uh, the first inaugural edition of E and Rod B. We have yet to name the show. We're going to let you do that, as a matter of fact. You can always uh, reach out to us. Specs text line is still Wide open for you, 512-337-3776. A lot of discussion about what's going to be the name of the brand new show uh, with myself and Aaron Hogan. So please hit us up and give us all your suggestions on the Specs text line. Got some really good ones. I'm writing them down right now in my notebook. So uh, we'll give you guys, I don't know, give you like a week to figure it out. If you come up with some great names, then we can name the show that. If not, then we'll come up with a better name. But I'll admit, Ian Rod B, a little too too vanilla. We got to add something to it. No, it's a little too it plain. Got to put some seasoning on that thing. Um, so that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to allow you, since the show belongs to you, uh, to name the new show. So we appreciate all of your participation. Uh, and also uh, we'll get to some more discussion, of course, about the big topics of the day. Getting back to Texas football. As a matter of fact, uh, we'll go uh, behind the burnt orange curtain. Next segment, talk some more Texas football. I have identified what I believe is Steve Sarkeesian's kryptonite. And I don't like throwing this out there that much, but I have the information. I've um, went down the rabbit hole. I was hoping that my the, the the evidence would lead me elsewhere, but it's led me to what I believe may be a surefire way to neutralize a Steve Sarkeesian offense. That's not good. Well, a lot of reasons to be optimism for the lo- well, optimistic yeah, for the Longhorns, but at the same time. Uh, you know, tell like it is. I mean, that's where Steve Sarkis. That's really the the ceiling of this football team this year will be its quarterback play and its head coach, right? Can oh yeah, like I'm not trying. If I'm a coach, I'm not trying to match up with Texas talent. I can't do that. What I can try to do, like it's, they always say in poker, right? If you can't play the hand, play the man. I'm playing the man. Yeah, Sark's the guy I'm trying to beat. If I'm a coach, I'm gonna try to match wits and beat him in the chess match within the game because I can't match talent with Texas. Who the hell can? Bama can. Right, it's like three. It's like five schools in the country that can do that right now. But what you can do, and has proven that it can happen, is out coach Sark, and that I'm with you. That's going to be the test for him to take his coaching acumen and prowess to the next level. Is that he can prove with this talent, he can also give his team a schematic, tactical, strategic advantage. Looking forward to that. Behind the burn orange curtain, bottom of the hour, we've also got uh, a lot of lot of uh, weekend chatter from uh, what went on. I wanted to ask you this because we weren't on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and we were missed. Apparently, a lot of people couldn't find much to listen to on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That's why we're happy to be the only local sports conversation in this market, uh, and I think it's be a pretty good conversation as well each morning. But since we weren't on, we didn't get to talk a lot about the beginning of Longhorn practice, and we're talking about it now. But you know, Steve Sarkeesian said going into it that. You know, to me, this has to be an optimistic thing for fans is that they're starting with the, you know, the key moments. Like they, they feel like they're so where they want to be with their install, mm-hmm. with the returning players, with returning coaches, the coaching staff continuity that Sark was saying, you know, earlier our goals in camp were to work on 
fourth quarter execution, work on third down execution, fourth down execution, both sides of the ball, red yep. zone mm-hmm. execution, the margins in which games are won and lost. To me, Rod, if that's your because you that talking about kryptonite for Sark, that was a, you know fourth quarters have been a problem, um, you know finishing games has been a problem. If you're if you're Sark and you're admitting that the goal of this camp is to begin to work on those things for f- four weeks. That's a pretty good place to start. Tells you they're pretty solid. They feel like everywhere else they're going to work and, and really drill down on the important, uh, those those small details that, that determine wins and losses. Yeah, because, you know, the progress for Sark has been pretty evident. The first season, you couldn't keep a lead, right? You had lot four blown leads where you had double-digit leads or leads at yep. halftime, and you had the largest blown lead in the history of Texas football against your rival, against Oklahoma. And so Texas basically was a – they were a first-half team in year one. And in year two, you didn't have the blown leads and you didn't have the you know debacles where they would implode on them, you know, kind of collapse on themselves like a dying star they would have these lapses late in games, right, in the fourth quarter that would lose them games, and a lot of that is on Sark. So last season, you look at Texas, they, I think they outscored their opponents by a combined 179 points in the first three quarters combined, but in the fourth quarter and overtime, they were outscored by their opponent, right? You go look at the five losses, and for the five losses, Texas failed to outscore their opponent in the fourth quarter or they were outscored. In the fourth quarter, Texas was two and five in one score games last year. That number needs to flip. So I love the progress from Sark. We're seeing the progress uh, year by year. But you're right. That's because he knows he he knows the next step has to be. We have to find a way to win the game within those very thin margins in the fourth quarter. And we're not doing that right now. That goes back to what you're talking about in critical moments, being able to play uh, elite football and 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 make you know your make great decisions and good decisions in critical times. That's what he wants to get back to right now because he knows that's what's keeping his team from being a championship caliber team. Yep, elite execution in yep. critical moments of football games. And if that's your your first thing you're working on, that's a good place to start. No doubt uh, with the Longhorns. All right, there will be an off day. It was an off day yesterday for Texas. They get back to the on field work today, week number two of Longhorn training camp. More on that coming up behind the burn orange curtain. Right now, though. Headlines of a busy Monday morning. Top Gun. Equipment Rentals bring you the news. Our buddy Brandon Mars and his great group there. A historic landscaping weekend in college athletics. It started on Friday, the full implosion of the Pac-12 Conference, incredibly. And then the further expansion of the Big Ten and the future Big 12. After a 13-month wait on a new media rights deal that was not up to snuff, Oregon and Washington announced on Friday that they are following USC and UCLA into the Big Ten Conference in 2024. That will make the Big Ten an 18-team coast-to-coast mega conference with now four teams on the West Coast. Soon after that announcement came down on Friday afternoon, didn't take long for the four corner schools of the Pac-12 to make it official as well. Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah all announced that they will be following Colorado into the now 16-team Big 12 in 2024 as Texas and Oklahoma Oklahoma move into the SEC. Again, full coverage and conversation of this massive shift coming up throughout the morning and uh, all week long here on Ian Rodby. NFL Dallas Cowboys enter their third week of training camp out in California ahead of their preseason opener against Jacksonville this Saturday. If you missed it over the weekend, two more Cowboys legends received their gold jackets in Canton, Ohio. Took their rightful place in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Demarcus Ware and Chuck Owley were officially inducted into that Hall of Fame on Saturday, giving the Cowboys now 17 players in the hall. Ware played his first nine seasons of his 12 years with Dallas. Still holds the franchise record for career sacks with 117. Howley played his entire career with Dallas, a five-time All-Pro, helped lead Dallas to their first championship in Super Bowl 
six. Also from Cowboys camp over the weekend, team and safety Malik Hooker agreed on a new three-year contract extension. And all pro guard Zach Martin's contract holdout continues. 32-year-old has already incurred more than half a million dollars in fines for time missed. Major League Baseball, Texas Rangers atop the AL West. Their lead there stands at two and a half games coming out of this past weekend. Rangers finished off a three-game sweep of the Miami Marlins in a 6-0 homestand with a 6-0 win yesterday in Arlington. Texas slugged four home runs. Andrew Heaney and three relievers combined on a six-hitter. Rangers now head to Oakland to open a series with the last-place A's. Second-place Astros, meanwhile, earned a split of their four-game set with the Yankees, 9-7 in the Bronx. They get the win yesterday despite 12 walks by Houston pitching. They still get the victory. Jake Myers belted a pair of three-run homers. Jordan Alvarez and Martin Maldonado hit big flies. Houston gets the victory. Houston will spend their off day today at the White House. They'll be honored for their 2022 World Series championship. Then we'll open a series in Baltimore tomorrow night. Of course, the first place Orioles. Also yesterday, Round Rock lost at Oklahoma City 17-7. to How about soccer? Stunner over the weekend. Women's World Cup, U.S. Women's National Team out. Lost to Sweden in the round of 16. Two-time defending cup champions lost in penalty kicks after a nil-nil draw in regulation. And in the MLS, the incredible Lionel Messi continues to amaze. He scored two more goals in regulation last night, added a third goal in penalty kicks, lead Inter-Miami to a shootout win over FC Dallas and Frisco. Messi has now scored an astounding seven goals in four games with his new team. They've won all four, and they're into the round of eight in the inaugural League's Cup. Horn Headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. Top Guns join forces with the legendary Austin Outdoor Power to give you the best lines of outdoor power equipment and fastest repair turnaround times in town. TopGun.net will shoot you straight. Oh, man, the Lionel Messi, the Lionel Messi story is just crazy. It, it, it's having such a reverberating kind of domino effect on all of American sports. Um, and I got a great example of it. I don't know how much time we want to spend sure. on it, but... I found this out last week, and you had to be reading like some business journals to even see the story because I didn't see it really in any of the uh, kind of sites I do for for research and for prep. I didn't see this story anywhere. So we know Lionel Messi has a very unique revenue-sharing deal that's probably making him the highest-paid American pro athlete right now, or at least pro athlete in American sports because he's got a share of the Adidas deal with merchandising he's going to share the concessions going to share the apple deal he's going to share everything so uh, he's probably in 60 80 million dollar uh like in that realm somewhere around there so the the nfl recently and like i said it was a something that went way under the radar they recently passed a rule where (laughs) they have now disallowed for for any players to get equity stake in a team it went under the radar. Nobody really talked about it. Um, ben Fisher of Sports Business Journal report the league adopted a rule prohibiting the giving of equity in the franchise to players or other employees. And we know part of the Lionel Messi deal is that he would, at least there's a promise of that he could buy into equity into a team, much like David Beckham did when he ended up buying into, into Miami. And we know how that worked out for him because that's about to be a billion-dollar yeah, valuation. David Beckham, when David Beckham came to L.A., <laughs> when David Beckham came to L.A., part of his deal to finish his career in Los Angeles was he would have the opportunity to buy an MLS franchise exactly. expansion team for $25 million, which pretty good value and now. And people believe that Messi has something similar in his deal, that yes. he'll be able to buy into equity stake into an MLS team. And the NFL, I believe, has kind of seen this coming. Those billionaires are thinking to themselves, well, you know what? Our quarterbacks are making a lot of money right now. And if there's one guy in the NFL who could actually argue that he deserves equity stake in a team, no matter how small or minuscule it is, it would be who? 
Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Do you know who authored the memo to prohibit uh, the giving of equity or disallowing of equity to teams or to players in the NFL? Jeez. It was Clark Hunt. you damn right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not really for him because he's not going to do it, but he feels if the, if the Browns, which gave a fully guaranteed deal to Deshaun Watson amidst multiple allegations of sexual misconduct, shout out to David Mulligetta, the – I always call him the Johnny Cochran of NFL agents because he got that deal done. But the NFL acted like that deal never happened. The billionaires ignored that deal and they ignored precedent. So essentially the NFL owners, I think, a little afraid that this Lionel Messi, David Beckham, MLS trend will spread to their league. They decided to put the kibosh on it early and say, yeah, you know what? Nobody is going to get equity in our NFL teams unless you buy into it. You're not going to be awarded equity. And pro football talk, pro football talk, excuse me. They recently reported this is early as last week or recently as last week that Caleb Williams and Aaron Rodgers both inquired about equity well, in look, NFL teams. You, well, you know, uh, the, the, <laughs> and we the, know Brady tried it. Brady wanted to be the Jackie Moon of the NFL. Yeah, with Miami. To, yeah. Well, look now, Brady has bought in with the Vegas he Raiders. Is, now. He wants to play and do it. He wants right. to do it all. So you're saying the rule would be for current players? They can't. You no. That would usurp the salary cap. You can't uh, give stake they, in equity uh, in a team, and that that's the owners trying to protect themselves from the other owners. As you said, you could yes. have a Daniel Snyder, or you can have a Jimmy Haslam in Cleveland, and they'll. You can't control them giving a guaranteed. You know they were all mad when they gave guaranteed money to Deshaun Watson, oh. uh, which which upset the, the quarterback market like it did, uh, and especially to that player and that coming off of those circumstances. So you're right. Uh, so the the owners are kind of protecting themselves from other owners saying no more. Don't we're not doing this now. Look, the MLS is trying to grow as a league, right? On a, as a global league, the NFL is really the only football league that matters, right, in the world, uh, playing American football. Uh, so, you know, it, 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 that's unique to it. You know, we know baseball and basketball and soccer are all global games. They're played all over the world. Football, you know, pretty much played right here in the United States of America, and uh, they're putting a kibosh, a lock, and it's going to be portrayed, and maybe so as the, the greedy owners trying to lock it up. Same time, uh, you know, you can buy in. You know, if you want to buy into the Billionaire Boards Club, as Tom Brady has done in retirement, yeah, he's can, buying in. Yeah, no, you can. But it's remember, I believe it was John Elway. Remember, he was offered. Yes, he was. He was offered equity stake in the Broncos in like the late like ninety eight or something like that, and he turned it down. And I believe the valuation was his equity stake he was offered would have been worth close to nine hundred million dollars if he had taken that. And now nobody can do that. Like now they've put they've disallowed that. Uh, ability for you to give equity stake in an NFL team to a player or to anyone basically who's not family or not a part of that ownership group. So, yeah, I think the NFL is just, like I said, they're looking at MLS and looking at Messi. They're paying attention. They're paying attention. They yeah. are. They are. I always got to feel bad about kind of feel like though. the MLS needed a jolt like this, and it's been no, an incredible it's jolt. Yeah. It's great. It's great but for them. But, but the, NFL, the NFL's not going there. And you're right. You, I, I'd forgotten about the John Elway. Oh, man. Equity Why stake, did he take you, that? What was, what, what was the argument against it? Taking equity stake in the NFL, too, even back then? He wanted to buy car dealerships. Oh, no, no, no. Literally, John Elway has said he just wanted the money. He, he wanted the cash. He, he, didn't, he didn't want, which Bro, he, he didn't look down the it road. It's cash. It's, it's <laughs> a know. cash machine. It reminds me of that guy. What's the, isn't there like a third, yeah, the third Apple founder? Remember this guy? Yes. The third Apple founder, because there were three of them. There was Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and then this third guy, Ronald Wayne, who owned 10% of Apple. 
And remember, he decided to sell his 10% stake. He sat down and wrote up an agreement, outlined it, why he wanted to sell the stake. And he had taken out like $15,000 in loans. So he told Steve Jobs, them, hey, man, I want to sell my share. And he sold it back to them for $800. And, <laughs> no, he did He sold it back to, to Steve Jobs and Wolsiak for $800. And now you know what his 10% stake in Apple will be worth? Hundred billion, like ninety five billion dollars. <laughs> Ouch! Sorry, so John crazy. Elway. <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah, that. So I imagine John Elway probably feels he doesn't feel as as bad as that guy. No, I'll just say that. No. Uh, agreed. Rod Babers, E. Hogan, <laughs> Ty Henderson is through the glass. It is the uh, the first edition of Ian Rod being the uh, first of many, and we're looking forward to it. While we're on the NFL, uh, can I play this for you, Rod? Because I want to get your thoughts on this. And Ty, I sent you these at uh, at your Twitters there. Uh, can we hear Darrell Revis? about Darrell Revis? Because you played corner it. in the league, Rod. Oh, yeah. You played corner at Texas. You're a lifetime Longhorn. And I know, having talked to you, Deion Sanders was your inspiration for playing corner, right? You wanted to be Deion. I wore 21. <laughs> I wore 21. I wanted to wear number two for Deion in college, but it wasn't to be. Well, can we hear uh, Darrell Revis as he was enshrined into the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, saying thank you to Primetime and uh, his inspiration. Here's Darrell Revis. Uh, Revis Island in Canton. I didn't get the chance to play with this guy named Deion Sanders, but he was a prototype for me. What Jordan is to Kobe is prime to Revis Island. You came first, and I wanted to play just like it. You were the roadmap to greatness. Thank you for paving the way. All right, Rod. Uh, you have similar thoughts. Where do you rank Darrell Revis? You know, if prime is the prime, then he's the, 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 the peak at the position. Where do you put Revis Island on that uh, position you he's, played? He's got to be pretty high because Deion Sanders himself, I believe he tweeted this out because I saw it this weekend. You know, Deion has complained that the Hall of Fame is too crowded. Yes. He's like, they letting too many people in. So he basically, he's, he's telling some people. very good. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, it, there needs to now, he believes there needs to be, and he calls it the upper room. Yes. A, separa- a separate room where the rarefied, uh, the most rarefied of athletes, uh, that they are, you know, they are the enshrined in an upper room, as he calls it. And he says that Darrell Revis deserves to be in the upper room. Yeah, his tweet, love him, respect him, and he's a HOFer that's seated in the upper room. Yeah, thank you. He calls it the <laughs> upper room. Uh, yeah, so uh, you know what? I I agree. I, if primetime says that you deserve to be in the same realm as him, then, hey, man, then you are already. You're blessed. You're knighted then, essentially, in the DB community. Yeah, Revis Island also played the uh, the salary game better than anybody. Yes, he did. He did a did. great job navigating the cap. Yeah, uh, short-term deals, re-up quick. Yep, you're right. Let's let's also hear from Demarcus Ware. He is into the Hall of Fame, nine years with the Cowboys, but had to leave to go to the Broncos to win a Super Bowl, unfortunately, for Demarcus. But a great player, one of those uh, early picks of Bill Parcells when he was rebuilding the Cowboys. And, uh, man, what a player. Here is uh, Demarcus Ware, some of his thoughts on teammates that inspired him when he got to Dallas uh, to become a Hall of Fame player. Every day I arrived at work, I can hear the ring of fire. Blasting in the training room, which meant Tony Romo was in the building. In the weight room, I'd hear the clanking of Larry Allen, bench pressing 500 pounds just to warm up. On the field, lining up against Jason Witten, I was reminded just how important it, and to, it, it was to be consistent every day, every play. And when I had to turn up, 
All I had to do is look at my boy Brady James because he truly had the eye of the tiger. There's Brady James sitting uh, in the seats there. Brady James, the LSU linebacker who was there when he got there. So thanking some of the guys that helped him get where he is. But that was a great player. Uh, where do you rank that DeMarcus Ware-Von Miller pass rush combo when they when they you know, pretty much carried Peyton Manning to another Super Bowl win in Denver? They did, yeah. That was that was uh, game-managing Peyton Manning. That yeah. wasn't even elite Peyton Manning. Uh, wasn't Brock Osweiler his? I think he was a backup there. Yeah, Brock Oswald was the backup, right? He was the one that got some uh, some playing time that season. That that pass rush is one of the better because you had Von Miller in his prime, so that is probably one of the better pass rushers that pass rushes that's been able to lead a team, like you said, to a Super Bowl. There are two ways to win a Super Bowl, in my opinion. At least there are exceptions to the rule, but at least you document the most recent Super Bowl success stories. There are two main ways to do it: elite quarterback play. Elite pass rush. One, if you got elite of those two things, that could potentially be good enough for you to make it to a Super Bowl. And that's why people are hounding the Cowboys this year because the Cowboys they were they were they led the NFL in pressure rate uh, this last season. They were third in pressure rate two years ago. Uh, they were third in sacks this past season. So this is a team that knows how to get to the quarterback. And with Michael Parsons right now. You know he is right. He is primed and ready to have a a peak. I say breakout season. He already had a breakout season, but primed to have his best season ever. Uh, turnovers is uh, they've led the league in back to back years, and the Cowboys want to be even better at that because they want they want to cover a little better. Remember last year when they had the injuries at the corner opposite Trevon Diggs, teams just went to the right side. Right, uh, mm-hmm. let's take advantage of that spot. And they can run the football, uh, power run, the, and the Cowboys feel like they're, they've are they helped to fix that with the drafting of Mozzie Smith and uh, uh, Haskins being back up front, Leighton Vander Esch back to stuff the run to put teams in more pass rushing you know downs, and then they can cover a little bit better on the back end. As you have said in, in your Rod's rant last hour, they've re-signed Malik Hooker, they re-signed Donovan Wilson, J. Ron Curse is back. I mean, they are ready to go on the defensive side. Uh, here we go. Here's a, here's a list of the greatest pass-rushing duos of all time. Number one on this list from this website, Rod, Clyde Simmons, Reggie White featuring Jerome Brown in the middle. That was yeah. pretty good with the Philadelphia well, Eagles back I mean, in the day. The, I believe the time that Reggie White was with the Eagles, he actually had more sacks than games played with the Eagles. Like, yes. That's how dominant he and was. And then he became that big free agent <laughs> from Fish to Green Bay. Number two on this list, Richard Dent and Dan Hampton. Uh, from the Chicago Bears, like 1985, yeah. the 85 we Bears. Get. We should also mention that lifetime Longhorn legend and pro football Hall of Famer Steve Mongo McMichael. Steve Bam Bam McMichael? Battling for his life right now yeah. in a, in a so hospital. Sad. It is sad. Dealing with ALS, and we, we root for him for sure. One remembers that great 46 defense for the Bears. The Bears. How about this one? Neil Smith, Derek Thomas. Man, people forget how good Derek Thomas was. The late great Derek yeah, Thomas. Yeah, past uh, going too early. They forget how good he was, man. He was he was on his way to breaking the all-time sack record. He was. I believe he was on his own. Like, he had that kind of trajectory. Those guys were unbelievable. Uh, led the NFL in sacks in 1993. Uh, Ricky Jackson, Pat Swilling of the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, they were in that 3-4 at those four linebackers. Uh, those, all those guys were well, awesome. But, yeah, those guys came off the edge. They were legit. I remember them. Leonard Marshall and LT well, when they were with the New York Giants and Bill Parcells. It's because of LT alone, you probably <laughs> could put that number one. I don't know how they ended up number five. Yeah, this list was yardbarker.com. Oh, no. Uh, number six, Dwight Freeney and Robert Go, Mathis. Okay, you know what? Shut that list off. Shut they got off. Lawrence Taylor behind Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis. No, I no. know statistically you could say, well, they no, got no. it. The only no. ones, Dwight, Lawrence Taylor is only behind the Ricky Jackson, Pat Swilling, Neil Smith, Derek Thomas, Richard 
Richard Dent, Dan Hampton. I'm going uh, okay. From first oh, you're going. To first. Oh, okay, going you're going backwards. I got you. Because number six on the list is Freeney and Mathis. That is followed by Von Miller and Demarcus Ware. Uh, okay. Then right. Broncos. Well, still, LT might be a little too low. Yeah. I mean, it's LT. Uh, Bruce Smith and Cornelius Bennett uh, on this list as well. Justin Tuck and O.C. Umanora with Michael Strahan. Uh, and Jason Pierre that Paul. That was a nice group. They had a nice little NASCAR well, And this is what people like about the Cowboys is uh, Micah Parsons says he wants to be the best ever. He was asked about it over the weekend in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> he wants to be a Cowboy who goes in the Hall of Fame as the best that it ever played. He's in year three now. Demarcus Lawrence can still get after the quarterback. They've got other dudes that can rush the quarterback, including the, the aforementioned DeMarvion Overshone, who is showing mm-hmm. some patch rushing skills in Cowboys camp out in Oxnard, California. All right, your thoughts. There's some NFL. Rod's great point on the equity stakes uh, in, in wake of the Lionel Messi explosion into the MLS and obviously a couple more Cowboys into the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio over the weekend, as well as Darrell Rivas and the rest of the class of 2023. This is Purple People Eaters. That's right, Minnesota Vikings back that. in the day. Yeah. It says Dion is right about the Hall of Fame. Uh, how is how the <laughs> blank is Zach Thomas in the Hall, but Tommy Nobis isn't? Truth. True. That actually is a great point. True. <laughs> I've, you know, That's the hardest hall point. to get into is the baseballs, and some say it's pretty ridiculously hard at this point with not allowing any of the steroid era players into the Hall of Fame. Uh, yes, the NFL does allow more, you know. Very, 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 very good players in than other sports typically. Jamal Charles uh, is up next year. Yeah. He's up for the 2024 class. All right, we'll come back and go behind the burnt orange curtain. Rod's done a deep dive on Steve Sarkeesian's kryptonite. He'll have that for you coming. I always love Rod's deep dives. Also, before the end of the hour, we go off the record. We got some good stuff that you got to have, you got to hear, including uh, the U.S. women's uh, soccer team stunned by Sweden. We'll give you a stat maybe you didn't know in our off-the-record segment coming before the end of the hour. It is E and Rod B on the horn. Absolutely correct. We'll go off the record before the top of the hour. Also, in our next hour, we will preview fully and spotlight the number 20 team in our Ian Rodby, Horn Top 20 Countdown, Top 20 Teams in College Football. Works out mathematically, Rod, that we have 20 shows between now and the Longhorn season opener against the Rice Owls. So, nice round number of 20. So, we'll count down the top 20 teams. So, serendipitous. I like that word. So, yes, we will uh, spotlight the Texas Tech Red Raiders, who are sitting at number 20 in our countdown. I like that. We'll see if that's about right. Coming off an 8-5 and five season in their first year under Joey McGuire. A lot of optimism in Lubbock. Had a texter from Midland, Texas, listening to us on the Horn app. Hey. To give some love to West Texas. Nice. Also, a buddy of mine in Texas from Amarillo. But listening live in Amarillo. 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 You say it like Amarillo. that? Amarillo. Yeah, that's what he calls it. He's from there. <laughs> calls it Amarillo. Amarillo. I think he went out. He, I think my buddy went to see an Amarillo Sodhoppers game. Sodhoppers. That's a cool mascot. Craig Way would like that. Craig Way loves cool, and that's funky where mascots. One, Ivan Melendez is slugging home runs for the Amarillo Hispanic Titanic in the organization for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Has the nickname traveled with him? Has he? Ca- I think so. Because do they, do they Titanic, call him that up there? He's hitting Titanic blasts. Yeah, <laughs> huh. I think that's <laughs> well, safe to say. But he can't. That's a cool nickname. I don't that is a cool nickname. Yeah. And I sodhoppers. Know. I asked my buddy what uh, sodhopper is, and he says that's a prairie dog. That's what they a call prairie, prairie dog's dog. a sodhopper. Yeah, interesting. Pop up. Titanic Pop up. could have a different meaning after recent events, though. 
Bah. Sinking? Well. The submersible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we all forgot yeah, about that yeah. already. That's a good point. All right. Yeah, they were, we, we, know, we know the Titanic is there, and they were just going to look at it and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, Titanic's been there for a while. All right, official yeah. numbers are in. Titanic. I mentioned uh, some baseball earlier with the Rangers now two and a half up on the Astros. Rangers finished off a six-game homestand with a 6-0 and record. Astros, meanwhile, split their four-game series in New York. It was a good series. Uh, Astros welcomed Justin Verlander back. He pitched well enough to win on Saturday, but not enough bats. The uh, Rangers or the Astros get the the Yankees get the win on Saturday, and then yesterday, Rod, it was one of the most frustrating games you'll ever see. The Astros, because you know me, I, I I've argued for the automated strike zone. I think it would be good for baseball, but everybody argues against me. I'm in the very mi- minority of that. But when you watch a game umpired behind the plate by Angel Hernandez, this makes the case for it. Uh, the Astros mm. walked 12 batters yesterday, and okay, they didn't pitch great, but when the umpire sucks, it's hard to pitch because you throw what you think are strikes, and now the uh, here's a Twitter account called Umpire Auditor in which Angel Hernandez in the game with the Yankees yesterday, pretty high-profile game, Sunday afternoon, you Yankee so. Stadium, Astros-Yankees, Angel Hernandez behind the plate missed 23 calls, 23 calls. <laughs> In a nine inning game, <laughs> he Angel Hernandez now has the lowest correct call rate in all of baseball. Oh, because they they grade them now. Yeah, and I'm, you know it's bad when both sets of announcers on TV and the radio are just howling about it. Uh, the Astros must have walked three or four batters when they had the the third. It was a two two count, and they'd throw a strike, and he would not call it a strike, and then he'd have to keep going. It was it's unbelievable. Astros, Astros ended up uh, throwing over two hundred pitches yesterday Ooh. with this guy behind the plate and. It, this is a pretty good p- pitching staff. By the way, it's Sod Poodles, not Hoppers. I apologize. Sod Poodles. Oh, yeah. Sorry, people Rob. people are getting on you. Sod yeah. Poodles. Yeah, apparently, that's very popular. Sod Poodles. I like Sod Hopper better, but I'll go with Sod <laughs> <laughs> You might have come up with a new, a random new mascot, a Sod Hopper. Uh, what is that? Just a grasshopper? Oh, there you go. Sod Hopper. Maybe. There you go. I think you guys just nailed it. Like that, I do. Uh, Astros did get the win, and uh, somebody says J.P. France get to the, the bullpen dub. yesterday. Yeah, I like J.P. Astros now have six starting pitchers with the return of Jose Urquidy and the, the trade of Justin Verlander. Verlander to go with you know Christian Javier and Framber Valdez, who will pitch tomorrow night in Baltimore. So they they, they put J.P. France, who's been he's contender for Rookie of the Year this year. He's not gonna win it, but he's gonna be in that conversation. He's been that good for Houston. Uh, he came out of the bullpen yesterday, which is where they're going to put him for just a little while. But the Astros have a chance to go with six starters. Six starters between now and you know, about 50 games to go. Uh, they can you know rest that bullpen a little bit. They need to. You can never have too many arms. You yeah. know it. And that series with the Orioles is big time coming up. Uh, Orioles are in first place, 70-win team. Meanwhile, the Rangers are playing an 80-loss Oakland team this week. So separation. If the Astros can't handle their business in Baltimore, the Rangers could start to stretch this lead a little bit back big, out. Big dogs on top. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've been talking about it for a few months now. Okay. I, I've been saying I, I've been giving the Rangers love. I, I know a lot of Astros fans hit on the Rangers. I've been giving the Rangers love. I Me always too. I respect what they've done. It this is this is a hell of a year for the Rangers. This is the best that the rivalry has been oh, because no the Rangers are now good and the Astros are now good. and They're in the same division. Well, so we haven't to, had this happen before. I'm gonna have to hold the torch on the show though. For the you Rangers. are. Go you ahead. Are. Oh no. Go ahead, brother. Yeah. No, no. I will point hey, out. Be since, proud. Since we last did a show together, Ty. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
the soft-minded, as you called Framber Valdez, the weak-minded Framber hey. Valdez. All he did is throw a complete game no-hitter. That's all. Uh, 27 batters face, 93 pitches, weak-minded. Yeah, that was that was nice. And he had been struggling prior to that. Well, you know what Framber did? He had been struggling prior to that. Martin Maldonado said, look, just stop trying to throw so hard. Because Framber was trying, when, he, when they played the Rangers, I think his adrenaline was up, and he was trying to hit 96, 97 miles an hour, which is not Framber. He slowed it down a little bit, and, and El Machete, Martin, Martin Maldonado, said, hey, look, man, pitch in the low 90s. Your stuff moves. Your stuff's fine. Mm-hmm. Don't overthrow the ball, and he did. And that that outing against the the Guardians the other night was one of the best I've I've seen in a long time. Ninety three pitches. He faced the minimum because he walked one batter and then rolled a double play on the next play, the next batter, next pitch actually. And uh, ninety three pitch complete game, perf- uh, almost a perfect game, but a no hitter, which was pretty good. He'll pitch tomorrow night against Baltimore. Rangers are in first place. Max Scherzer made a start. Mm-hmm. Jordan Montgomery, their new mm-hmm. starter, made a start. Uh, they're in a good place, no doubt about it. And I'll say this as a baseball fan and a sports fan. If we don't get a Rangers-Astros, I mean, it would be great if it was the ALCS. But if we don't get a series in the playoffs between these two, it'll be a shame. It'll be a shame because I think, I think we deserve that as fans and in the state of Texas. How far back are the Angels now? Uh, with Shohei, uh, I'll let you know right I know because uh, I, I know it's bad for the Rangers and Astros, but damn. Don't we all deserve to see Shohei in the playoffs? Angels have, just... Angels have tumbled. tumbled. I know. They've lost so, six so, in a row, and there's a ten and a half so back. So if they don't re-sign Shohei, yeah. like, can we explain like that decision to not trade him if they don't end up re-signing him? If they re-sign him, great, then it was probably an understanding I blame the, owner. the whole Look, time. I blame the owner, uh, Artie Moreno, but the GM will, will take the fall for it and the team president. Oh. Because they didn't trade, but it was it was the owner who made the decision. Same owner that si- signed Josh Hamilton to a ridiculous contract at the end of his career. Albert Pujols to a ten-year deal that went into his forties. Uh, bad ownership. Uh, like the LA Angels leadership is on par with the Pac-12. Okay, I'm just gonna say they're on par with the Pac-12 <laughs> at this point, or what we knew is the Pac-12. But yes, they've all they've fallen all the way to fourth place. They're they're now behind Seattle. Oh yeah, in the AL West. Okay, by four games. So yeah, they're they're six straight losses. All right, it is time. A little baseball chatter there to go behind the burn orange curtain. Longhorns are four practices into training camp. And they were all asking themselves the same question. What is behind that curtain? All right. I want to go behind the burn orange curtain here a little bit and discuss what I think schematically is a hurdle that Sark's got to overcome to become the elite coach that we all hope and we all expect him to be because we all expect him to become a championship coach this year and compete and some even say win the Big 12. So schematically, uh, one of the, the defensive kind of adaptations that we've seen as of late in the Big 12, and it actually was popularized here, and some people even said that it, it was born here and created here in the Big 12, is a three-high, three-down defense. We've heard people talk about this, three-high safety looks. It's basically all the same coverages, all the same pressures that you would run from a single high or a two-deep safety set, except it's just different presentation and different packaging. So it's just three-high. And the reason it's a little bit different is because not only is it something relatively new, because I think the first time we see this three high safety look was around 2016. So you're talking about something that's less than 10 years old. So there aren't a lot of natural built-in, baked-in beaters. You ever hear of cover one beaters, cover two beaters, cover three beaters, cover four beaters. There are natural baked-in beaters to all offensive systems, and everybody knows them. You've been working through them since your high school days. Well, you don't really have those for the three high 
because it's relatively new. And since you don't really have those baked in, I think also it's tougher because it presents a more malleable, flexible, defensive look for the offense because you can move those chess pieces around a little bit better and a little bit more, I would say, frequently than you would with a two-high-shell look. So just make your defense more malleable. And not that Dan Quinn uses three high looks, but he does use three safeties for a lot of the same reasons. So against that particular schematic concept, the three high safety, which, by the way, Iowa State popularized uh, in 2017, and they probably pioneered, and they probably run it better than anybody else in the country with John Haycock, and they run it so well that teams from the NFL, teams from around the country, Power 5 teams, Brent Venables, when he was at Clemson, teams from around the country, they come to Ames, Iowa, to study that three-high defense because it's a great spread neutralizer. And that's why a lot of teams came to study it. And now teams in the NFL, they use a three-high safety look, too. As a matter of fact, when Patrick Mahomes had his, one of his worst performances we've ever seen him uh, have at the NFL level in the Super Bowl versus Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, on a lot of those third downs, they were running the three-high. Three high safety looks against Patrick Mahomes, a Big 12 quarterback. So anyway, getting to it, last season, and you can even go back to that Arkansas matchup that Sark had in 2020. Yep. Uh, That Arkansas matchup that Sark had in 2020. And Sark's offense, we know, gangbusters for Alabama in 2020. One of the greatest offenses in the history of college football. But the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams, size, Cardi B size, making the stallion size, but against Barry Odom's Arkansas defense, which ran to three high, one of the only teams to run in the SEC at the time and probably still are, um, man, they held that Bama offense to only 208 yards passing, 7.2 yards per attempt, um, when normally that team was averaging 11.5 yards per attempt in the other games and 357 yards passing. Uh, They had only... If you go look at it, only average between Najee Harris and Brian Robinson, they averaged less than four yards per carry in that on, in that game in 2020. Now, fast forward the last two years, that's the sample size I'm working with. And I'm looking at the teams that have minored or majored in that schematic concept and how Sark's offense have performed and what the productivity and output have been versus those, those defenses. So Sark's offenses – basically averaged in the last two years, you're talking about 30, 34, close to 35 points per game. But against a three-high defense, his offense is average nine fewer points per game based on my math and my analysis. If you just take Sark's offensive output or his offense's productivity – Versus three high defenses juxtaposed or compared to defenses that play more traditional two high and single high sets. You're talking about 15 fewer points per game. Jeez. Uh, TCU would be a great example last year. Yes. Iowa State is also another great example. Iowa State does a really good job of it as well. And Barry, and then, you know, Arkansas, you know, in that first year. Sure, I was at that game. That was was horrible. uh, Only 21 points. Well, and you know what? The key to me, I mean, I'm not the football theorist you are. The key to me is you've got to run the ball. You've got to be able to win the line of scrimmage in a big way. A power run game can really take a lot of the the schematics and the, the theory. And the tactics and strategy out of it. Just and Texas did that versus Iowa State last year. Yeah. They just ran the red like, yo, just run the rock. You can run the rock, then you're right. It it eliminates a lot of the the minutiae. Yeah. Right. 
Uh, but I, I went and looked at what if it's not just scoring, it could be other things too. I went and looked at the output in uh, yards, um, and you look at third downs. So third downs versus three high defenses, thirty-seven percent conversion rate versus none three high defenses. A more traditional uh, packaging or presentation. You're talking about forty-four percent conversion rate. Passing yards versus three high. You're at one eighty-six. Passing yards versus other defenses, you're at 265 yards per game passing. Uh, if you look at uh, yards per attempt, you'll like this one. So Sark's offenses have averaged over seven yards per attempt 15 times in the last two years. Only twice has it been against a three-high defense. Well, he's going to see a lot of it, and that's what you wonder yes. if he's been working on all offseason and maybe part of the Paul Christ hire as the, that's uh, a big the part analyst of it too. is, hey, yeah. we got to be able to line up. They're going to go three high safeties. Um, we have to be able to line up and hit them in the mouth and run the football. And I think that's also, you're going to see that 6-0 line package. That also going to be an answer yeah, jumbo to package. just go power football against that three high defense. And the reason schematically that it matches up well with Stark schematically is because the three high defense, basically it, it gives the it distorts the pre snap read for the quarterback because he has no idea where that third safety really is going to be, and based on based on where that safety lines up, that could and especially if it's an RPO where you're you're counting the numbers in the box. If you have the numbers advantage, you hand it off. If you don't have the numbers advantage, you're gonna pick it, pick it up and throw it. In the RPO situation, if they distort the box count and you miscount or have an inaccurate count then you may just hand the ball off into a which, numbers disadvantage. Which they did against TCU over yes, and over again last exactly, year. Exactly, because you, 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 <laughs> you, you cannot accurately get the count because you don't know exactly how they're going to move around those, those chess pieces and those defenders. That's why it matches up really well with Sark's offense, and Sark describes his offense as an RPO-based passing game, so he wants to run more and more RPOs, which means more and more pre-snap diagnosis that has to be precise and accurate, and that three height will distort that for the quarterback. There it is, behind the burnt orange curtain with the football theorist Rod Babers. He'll also have a Rod's rant coming up, but coming next, it is time to go off the record. Some stories from off the nose, stories maybe you missed, including Tim Anderson, shortstop of the White Sox, got knocked the blank out over the weekend. Off the record next. D.D. Megadoodoo, I'm sorry, Mangudu. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Delhi Cat Essen. Well, well, I don't get it. Break the egg comb. Well, congratulations. Continue good sex in, the, sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. F***ing thing sucks. Oh, you had to bring this from the afternoon program to the morning. That's too good. Too good. Off the record, Rod Babers, off the record, including, did you know that uh, a man claims he set a world record by smashing 273 walnuts with his forehead? Why? <laughs> that would be my question. Why? Naveen Kumar says he broke the record. He wants to be in the Guinness Book of World Records. Is it possible that he get had some type of head trauma from this concussion? Clearly, Do we 273 about, walnuts. We're worried about CTE with this guy <laughs> at all. Yeah. Come on, man. Has to be. He's got a brain scan. He hey, needs it. I need to know this about uh, my new my new co-host here, my new partner, Rod. Do you have a sweet tooth? Are you a sweet tooth? Yes. Tooth? Oh, man, it's bad, too. Yeah. Is it really? Damn near every night I got to get on some sweet. It's it's bad. It's a problem. I need to. I, I, I do. What's I need to self-correct somehow. Oh, chocolate. 
Oh. Chocolate. It says oh, here yeah. that um, according to this uh, survey or this uh, scientific research, your sweet tooth is most likely to kick in at 2.30 p.m. Probably good mm. till 2.30, it says. Really? 2.30 yeah. p.m.? I try to avoid it till nighttime. Uh, you know, I'm, just kinda, I'm an adult, so I, I try to avoid all the candy till night. But nighttime, I become a... That's the worst time to eat it, though. It is. I mean, I brush my teeth afterwards. Like a gremlin. Yeah, you brush your teeth afterwards. We're talking like metabolism-wise. I do not have a sweet tooth. Oh, I don't have an issue with metabolism, though. (laughs) I mean, either. Well, if you missed it at 6 a.m. this morning, Rod Rod had already run four miles this morning and woke up. I had to, trying to wake up. (laughs) Yeah, right at four miles before. It worked, too. I'm I'm up. You tired yet? No. I'm good. I feel good. That's good, man. Yeah. We no coffee have, either. Some chance that I was drinking coffee. We two hours to go, Chick-fil-A. man. Yeah, we got we a five-hour extravaganza each morning. Hey, congratulations to uh, film director Greta Gerwig. She is now the first solo female director to make a $1 billion film. Barbie, Barbie hit a over billion? a billion at the Global Box. What did Oppenheimer do? Because I saw Oppenheimer this past weekend. Loved it, by the way. I needed your review. I've not Loved seen it. Loved it. It was oh, a great. It's fantastic. Is I, it really good? I thought it was good. And... I, the scenes, like I, I would like to go back and try to try to track it. The scenes, they weren't very long. Like it was a long movie. It's three something hours, but the scenes weren't long. Like they were quick scenes, a ton of them. And I think that's my favorite part of it is that it kept moving. It moves. How, how did my guy Killian Murphy do? Oh, in the lead? kills it. Kills it. No, oh, he's unbelievable. He's gonna he's gonna be up for best. I mean, best actor. There's no doubt about it. And was it um Emily? Is it Emily? Emily Blunt? Blunt. She was. She doesn't even have that many. Key scenes, but the one she has, she just Powerful. rocks it. Oh, and yeah, who's the other young lady that's in that film? Florence Pugh. Florence yes. Pugh. Oh, yeah. She's very erotic in nice. her scenes, and uh, yeah, I, I liked her. I, learned, I mean, I thought it was a great. I thought it was a great one. I thought they knocked it out of the park, and I love yeah. the like the theory that they got into and how you know basically they they were putting the theory. All right, of you know the atomic bomb into practice, and it's kind of the process of that taken from practice, taking it from theory to practice. I uh, can't wait to see it. I still yeah. have not. I need to. Oh, I have not great. seen Barbie either, but over a billion dollars. I'm at the not going to see office. that. No, I've heard. It's I heard it's good, good though. I've heard it's pretty good. Yeah, I can't. It's pretty watch good. It. Yeah. Uh, also, in off the record, Rod, I know you have a couple things too, but I wanted to mention that uh, if you can relate to this, I know you can't because you ran four miles before six a.m. this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Ty, it was Buster Rhymes. You a fan of Buster Rhymes? Buster. Yeah. He has. He, he he said he decided to lose weight when he had a hard time breathing during sex. Yeah. yeah that's probably when you need to lose a few. He's a I heavy, agree. <laughs> he's a heavy set fellow. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's big, way bigger than we was rapping in his prime though. You're right. right. He's so, one of those speed rappers. He told Men's yeah. Health. He still told Men's Health that you man, know what? I was getting gassed in the sack. I, I I couldn't finish the deal. I agree. Good for you. I mean, that's partly why I stay in shape, too. I got to keep it nice, man. Well, I hear I, that, Buster. Yeah. I no, hear I, My theory is that the where well, you think the best sex in the world is being had at any given moment? I think the best sex in the world is being had in the Olympic Village when they have the Olympics. Oh. I think it's, you know, that's just my theory. The greatest athletes on the planet well, you've seen the in their sexual like prime. Condoms that they, yeah, they deliver. they're in their sexual prime. They're at their peak, and they're the greatest athletes on the planet. They are, they are having the best sex the world has ever known. Every Olympics. The Olympic Village. Oh, it's unbelievable. And it, my, and it, it goes, takes a village. It takes a village. But it goes to my theory that if you're, in, if you're not in great shape, then it's going to be hard to have great sex. Yeah, that's true. If, you know what I mean? Like that, it, having that. I mean, just it just tell. This is my theory. Going back to the Olympic Village theory, you can have good sex, but hard to have great sex if you're not in good shape. They're making super babies over there. 
They, right. are. they are. They are. They are well, banging some super. Those, those, well, they use a condom, so they, you know, that outside. Yeah, and it's like and your experience. It's like it's like uh, it's like traveling to New York City, and they have all the uh, the great food options, right? You got uh, Chinatown, and you get the Italian village. Oh. You, get, you, you get kind of have a whole world flavor at the Olympics. Oh, you know, yeah, you yeah, I know exactly. That's a good question. From all over the globe. Yeah, they don't even speak the same language. You just got you just look at each other like, you yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You want? Oh, yeah. Bang. Let's go. Oh, it's too good. What do you have for us in off the record, Rod? Oh man. All right. Um, okay. I, I sent you guys a story. This is a weird story. So, um, and I, like I said, I want to know some more details about it. So, apparently, there's an ex Auburn football player who's involved in this story. So, I'll just read it to you. In the Bahamas, um, <laughs> basically, uh, the, the, the prosecutor, uh, he withdrew an objection uh, to, to their like release because so people were in jail. Georgia mom, Lindsay Shiver, and her two alleged conspirators were granted emergency bail on Tuesday. So the prosecutor basically is claiming that Ms. Shiver, who her alleged lover, Terrence Bethel, and Farron Newbold, Newbold Jr., the man allegedly recruited to carry out a murder plot, all right, that her and this person apparently plotted to kill someone, police officers stumbled across a WhatsApp message about the alleged murder plot during a search of Bethel's phone while he was being questioned about a break-in at a bar. Um, and meanwhile, Bethel and Newbo were each granted $20,000 bail, and apparently the guy that actually bailed them out was the, he was actually going to be the plot, or at least be the victim <laughs> in the murder plot. Yeah, I'm not making that up. The twist is Robert Shiver apparently helped bail out his wife and the two men involved in the plot to have him killed. Lindsay will be freed on $100,000 cash bail. She has agreed to wear an ankle bracelet and remain in the Bahamas where she and Robert own a vacation home until a court appearance. Terrence Bethel and Farron Newbold were each granted $20,000 bail and also given tracking devices. So she just gets to chill in the Bahamas? Yeah. Oh. The trio will also surrender their travel documents and are banned from contacting Robert. But he bailed them out. He bailed out the, the woman, his wife, that plotted to kill. Allegedly. Allegedly. Some guys like crazy. Some guys like crazy. That's uh, a, that's very crazy, though. That's very crazy. Yeah. That's uh, that's different level crazy. By the mm-hmm. way, one other off the record, and you sent me this, Rod. New York Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers, who will make his debut this week on Hard Knocks. Hard on Knocks, HBO, baby. August 8th. I think it's tomorrow night is the debut. It'll be the highest rated ever. Has reportedly invested $10 million into a stunning New Jersey mansion near MetLife Stadium. 10 mil. Looks like he might be putting down some roots there, Rod. Uh, he took do? a pay cut, too. Took a pay cut. Took a pay cut to do it. Uh, he's been inviting all his friends up there. He's got like seven Jets, former Jets up there. Nathaniel Hackett, his BFF. Nathaniel Hackett. Oh, man. can you? This is, this is easily going to be the highest rated oh, hard, hard knocks. knocks ever. Because Aaron Rodgers, and they got the trash talk and going the Sean on. Sean Payton. The Sean Payton thing going keep on. Keep my coach's name out your mouth, Aaron Rodgers. When was the last time a player told an NFL coach to keep his coach's name out of his mouth? I love that. Never. Now he's buying a house. The NBAification of the NFL. I love it. I love it's it. It's fantastic. Hey, Ty, you're a fighter. You like to fight. Keep it You were in a fight club back in the day. How good was the punch of uh, Jose Ramirez on Tim Anderson? Knocked him out. Hit him right in the jaw. Right hook. I think it's more Tim Anderson had a weak chin than anything else there. That, that, that wasn't the best punch. Oh. Rarely do you see a dude go down like that. Jose, yeah. Jose Ramirez got him with the right hook. Throwing them hands. Throwing them hands. We'll let yeah. you hear from Jose Ramirez coming up in, a, in our segment next hour called Who Said It? Who Said It? Who said after, that? Rod, after Jose Ramirez said, you know what? He had it coming. Who said that? Might be the best connected punch since Rugnet Odor.
Ooh. Rubnet Odor of your Texas Rangers. Mm, that was a nice one, man. We'll come back. Rod has a rant. We're going to go uh, full full bore on our 20th ranked team in the Horn Top 20 countdown, the Texas Tech Red Raiders, coming up next hour as well.